This is a five train. The next stop is Wall Street. Herzlich willkommen zu Wall Street Weekly, dem Börsenpodcast aus New York. Ich bin Sophie Schimanski und ich freue mich, dass Sie wieder mit dabei sind. Wir haben ja in der vorherigen Folge darüber gesprochen, wie die Politik in das Treiben der Tech-Konzerne eingreifen darf oder muss. Heute geht es um das Gegenteil. Inwieweit dürfen die sozialen Netzwerke wie Twitter und Facebook den politischen Diskurs in einem Wahljahr beeinflussen? Dass sie es tun, ist unbestritten. Nur wer kontrolliert diese Aussagen von Trump und Co.? Denn die sind nicht immer wahr. Die Kandidaten versuchen natürlich, sich gegenseitig zu schaden und das um jeden Preis. Das bringt die Online-Netzwerke und Suchmaschinen wie Google in eine brenzlige Situation. Inwieweit müssen sie die über ihre Plattformen verbreiteten Aussagen überprüfen und beschränken? Einzelfälle gab es in Vergangenheit bereits mehrere. Erst Donnerstag hat Facebook nach stets gepredigter Neutralität dann doch eine Anzeige von Donald Trump entfernt. Sie habe gegen Facebooks Politik gegen Hassrede verstoßen. Ein ungewöhnlicher Schritt für Facebook. Facebook erlaubt sonst eigentlich jede politische Anzeige. Twitter hat sich für diesen Wahlkampf ganz aus dem politischen Anzeigengeschäft zurückgezogen und erlaubt gar nichts. Mein Gast heute sagt, beides ist falsch. Marshall van Elstein kennen Sie ja schon von der vorherigen Folge. Er ist einer der weltweit führenden Experten für Geschäftsmodelle mit Netzwerkeffekten. Er unterrichtet an der Boston-Universität und forscht an der Business School des MITs. Er hat eine ganz andere Idee. Demnach würde es für lügende Politiker teuer werden. In einem neuen Forschungspapier hat er dafür ein Preismodell nach mikroökonomischen Grundlagen entworfen. Der Titel lautet A Market for Truth to Address False Ads on Social Media. Und darüber spreche ich mit ihm. Zum Schluss gebe ich Ihnen einen persönlichen Eindruck davon, wie die Wiedereröffnung New York so läuft. Die Stadt wird gerade langsam aus dem Corona-Koma geholt. Wir in den USA stecken ja gerade mitten im Wahlkampf. Donald Trump wirbt für seine Wiederwahl, Joe Biden will ihn ablösen. Beide erreichen nirgends mehr Menschen und mehr Wähler als auf Facebook und Twitter. Nur werden diese Plattformen nach der derzeitigen Gesetzgebung nicht als Herausgeber oder Medien gesehen, die auch eine inhaltliche Verantwortung tragen. Wenn politisch entscheidende Personen wie Präsidentschaftskandidaten das zu Lasten der Wahrheit ausnutzen, fußt der Ausgang von Wahlen nicht mehr auf der Realität. Doch wie lassen sich Fake-Anzeigen von politischen Kandidaten am besten vermeiden? Und das ohne die Meinungsfreiheit zu verletzen. Mad Money-Moderator und TV-Legende Jim Cramer dazu auf CNBC. There's a lot on the line here in terms of expense, but more important, there's a lot on the line here in terms of the soul of the country. Uh, can you just uh, put whatever you want in Facebook, reach a lot of people, right. uh, because you sure couldn't do it in the New York Times. So I think it's really no. interesting moment for the soul of Facebook. Fake-Anzeigen gab es in Vergangenheit so einige. Die Trump-Kampagne schaltete eine Social-Media-Anzeige und behauptete darin, Biden habe der Ukraine Geld versprochen, um einen Staatsanwalt zu entlassen, der gegen seinen Sohn ermittelt. Es gibt dafür keinerlei Beweise. Reuters berichtet, dass die beiden kampagne Briefe an Facebook, Twitter und Google gesendet hat, in denen sie darum baten, die Anzeige zu entfernen. Darauf antwortete Facebook über die New York Times, dass die Anzeige nicht gegen die Unternehmensrichtlinien verstoße. Zitat, 
Unser Ansatz basiert auf dem grundsätzlichen Glauben von Facebook an freie Meinungsäußerung, der Achtung des demokratischen Prozesses und der Überzeugung, dass in reifen Demokratien mit freier Presse die politische Rede bereits die wohl am meisten untersuchte Rede ist. Die demokratische Senatorin Elizabeth Warren gab sich damit nicht zufrieden. Sie launchte daraufhin eine Wahlkampfanzeige, in der sie absichtlich die falsche Behauptung aufstellte, Facebook-CEO Mark Zuckerberg würde Trump unterstützen. In der Anzeige schrieb sie auch, das sei eine falsche Behauptung. Damit wollte Warren Facebook an den Pranger stellen. Das ist ihr gelungen, die Anzeige wurde trotz unwahrer Behauptung von Facebook durchgewunken. Aktuell sind Netzwerke geschützt und nach Section 230 nicht dafür haftbar, was dritte Parteien posten. Sie müssen keine Konsequenzen fürchten wie ein traditionelles Medienunternehmen oder ein Verlag. Kurzum, sie haben nicht so viel Verantwortung für Inhalte wie Zeitungen oder ein TV-Sender. Soziale Netzwerke hätten aber auch eine viel größere Masse an Informationen zu prüfen. Im Grunde reden wir von Postings und Tweets von Milliarden von Nutzern. Wenn die Netzwerke grundsätzlich haftbar wären, müssten sie jeden Inhalt überprüfen. Das würde ihre Kosten drastisch erhöhen. Trump will den Schutz für die sozialen Netzwerke jetzt aber aufheben. Er erließ vorigen Monat eine Verordnung, jetzt ist das Justizministerium bereit, entsprechende Maßnahmen zu ergreifen. Vor einigen Tagen brachte es einen entsprechenden Gesetzesentwurf vor den Kongress. Vor allem konservative Interessensgruppen und auch die Technologiegiganten selbst haben Trump dafür scharf kritisiert. Und eine von Facebook und Twitter unterstützte Organisation, die Internet Association, hat den Beschluss bereits angefochten, weil er gegen das erste Amendment der Meinungsfreiheit verstoßen würde. Auch eine von Trumps Gegnerinnen, die Demokratin Elizabeth Warren, will, dass die Netzwerke stärker zur Rechenschaft gezogen werden. Sie geht aber noch weiter als Trump und fordert, dass die Netzwerke, die wissentlich unwahre Anzeigen schalten, zivil und strafrechtlich verfolgt werden können. Auch ihr Ansatz stößt natürlich auf Kritik. Hier der Anwalt Andrew Napolitano auf Fox News. Well, from minute one, this is unconstitutional. And, and you all know this line I'm going to quote. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. It is about as clear as can be. The whole purpose of the First Amendment presumes the listener, the reader, the speaker make those choices. The government does not. Eine Änderung hat Facebook nun für sich schon beschlossen. Die Nutzer sollen zumindest die Möglichkeit haben, politische Anzeigen auszublenden, auf Facebook und auf Instagram. Marshall van Elstein sagt, weder Twitter noch Facebook machen es richtig. Er hat stattdessen ein Modell entworfen, das Lügen zu einem teuren Unterfangen und die Wahrheit zu einer möglichen Einnahmequelle macht. Seine Idee ist, dass Anzeigen mit einer Art Kaution gekauft werden müssen. Vermutet die Gegenseite eine Unwahrheit, kann sie Geld zahlen, und die Anzeige anfechten und von einem unabhängigen Board factchecken lassen. Das ist teuer und die Gegenseite würde den Weg nur gehen, wenn sie wirklich glaubt, dass es eine Lüge ist. Wenn die Untersuchungen das auch final ergeben, bekommen sie ihr Geld für die Überprüfung zurück. Und die Gegenseite muss nicht nur die Anzeige bezahlen, sondern verliert auch die Kaution. Hat sie allerdings die Wahrheit gepostet, bekommt sie die Kaution zurück und der Preis der Werbung, den sie zahlt, wird reduziert. Marshall van Elstein kennen Sie ja schon von der vorherigen Folge. Er ist einer der weltweit führenden Experten für Geschäftsmodelle mit Netzwerkeffekten. 
Er unterrichtet an der Boston Universität, forscht am MIT und ist Buchautor und Keynote-Speaker. Seine aktuellste Forschungsarbeit ist noch nicht veröffentlicht, aber er hat mit mir darüber gesprochen. Hi Marshall. Hi. Hi, how are you? Just fine, just fine. Thanks for, so much for being on my show again, because I think we all enjoyed hearing you talk um, last week and we all want to know more from you and hear more from you, even if it's on a different topic, on uh, your proposal for a market of truth to address false ads on social media, to quote the title of your paper, actually. Oh, it's a, it's a great pleasure. Certainly, I, th I think it's an important problem these days. So much happening in politics and be really great to see if we can get some of the lies out of politics. So uh, that's something we'd love to try to do. Definitely. So um, let's start with the basics. The model you've created basically disincentivizes lying in the context of political ads. Would you say that this is correct if you want to kind of sum it up? That's correct. I mean, one of the biggest problems we face in politics, and certainly in social media as applied to politics, but one extreme, Twitter has said they're not going to take any political ads, so that's not going to be available there. At the other extreme, we've got folks like Facebook going to take anything, no matter what's said out there, and they're going to allow the users to police it. And the challenge, of course, is that you know, if anyone can say anything at any time, you know, as it's protected speech, of course, the difficulty is the user, how do the users know whether the politicians are actually telling the truth or not. You have to go do the homework. And at some point, if you're simply being bombarded constantly uh, with lies in the politics, how do you have the time to go check them all? At some point, folks start tuning out and it becomes very difficult to do it. So I'd like to put the pressure back on the politicians to stop lying. Rather than putting the responsibility on users to judge what's a lie, help getting the politicians to stop lying in the first place. And happily, we've got some tools to do that. And I mean, at the same time, you probably want to know if someone is lying, even if you were not able to or would not be able to identify it as a lie. But you want to know if someone's uh, trustworthy. So Absolutely. There's some wonderfully, really simple mechanisms to do that. Um, so one of them is simply to get folks to, to ask folks to promise not to lie. Promise, in a sense, a guarantee. If you buy a phone or you buy groceries or you buy any product on Amazon, It comes typically with a product guarantee if it's, if it's false, if it violates the terms of service. I know one of the things that you can return something for is having violated the terms of service. You're electing politicians, you're elect, electing people to govern uh, society, and they might be, shall we say, violating the terms of service by lying about what they're going to do, what they've done, or about what others have done. And it would be really nice if we could return them after that. Right. Uh, at the moment, we can't do that, but... If we could actually get them to guarantee their claims, this would be a very simple mechanism to do that. One of the ways we can do this is to create this insurance market or this market for truth as, an, as a means to do that. Yeah, exactly. That would have been my question. How does this market of truth um, work when it comes to the setup before we get to the mechanism? So who are the participants and what good is being traded and uh, who's deciding if something is truthful? So who's actually controlling the market mechanism? So you've raised one of the most important questions here. What we really want to do is to simply fall back on established mechanisms to actually make this happen. So what do we do to establish credibility or efficiency or legitimacy in existing governments? Well, our government and most uh, governments in Western societies have a really simple solution. It is you tend to divide the executive branch from the judicial branch from the uh, legislative branch. We'd have the same mechanism here. 
one body would get to decide what fake news would be. You could even imagine that CNN or Fox, as far apart as they are on the political spectrum, might be able to agree on a definition of fake news, independent of any particular or or political lie in this context. Uh, Then you might also have a judicial body, which might be a random sample of people on the platform, or it could be groups like Snopes or political fact that would be judging it. Then the platform is the one that actually gets to enact whether or not something has happened or not. And these three different bodies, you can set it up separately so that none has a bias and none has a self-interest in it. In some ways, separating these things is even better than what we have now, because at the moment, groups like Politica Fact or Snopes or Fact Finder get to use their own definition of fake news. If we had a third body body actually define that, then they don't even get to use their own definition. It's, it's even more constrained. Mm-hmm. So that's the governance mechanism. We'll have to get to how it actually works or what the precise model will be. Yeah, so how would that look like? I would like to know more about um, how the participants would interact and who can do what and how's the price set, for example, who profits and who has costs, depending on which action. So here's how it would work. At the time that a politician or a political action committee, a super PAC, buys an ad, they would actually also then buy effectively insurance or a guarantee that set, certifies that their claims are actually true. Now, upon hearing the ad, any aggrieved party, so imagine it could either be a opposing politician or it could be uh, a citizen's group with an interest in hearing it, could challenge the legitimacy of that ad. Now, in order to eliminate spurious challenges, what you'd want to do is to then charge a fee which would cover the cost of fact-checking. So any challenger simply then pays the fee to have it fact-checked um, and then The, it would be turned over to the judicial group, which could be, again, assigned exactly in the same way as a, as a peer or a judicial group or jury of peers, or you could use PolitiFactors, who would then decide if claims were true or not. If everything is true, the guarantee simply goes back to the, the ad buyer. There was no cost whatsoever uh, in this case. If it is the case that a claim was judged uh, false, then the challenger gets the value of the claim. It's a mechanism of penalizing lying politicians, and it's independent and unbiased. There's a mechanism for actually making this happen. Does this not mean that the more means you have, the bigger your wallet is, the, the more of campaign funding you have, uh, the bigger your lies can be, or the more um, you, you can lie, the more you get to lie? Well, a couple of responses to that. First is, isn't that what we have now? Right? The more money that you have as a super PAC, you simply buy more ads with more lies in them. So that's already what we have. So we'd like to fix it from that. So the first element of this is, this clearly makes it more expensive to lie in the first place. So the first element is it actually increases the costs if you're going to lie in your, in your advertising. The second thing is actually it also creates a mechanism for what economists would call efficient search. Suppose that you keep buying the same ad with more lies in it and you keep getting judged that it, um, that it has been lying. Then the natural thing to do is to raise the price at the platform level. I'll give you a really simple example, okay? Suppose it's a case that ExxonMobil would keep buying ads that says humans don't cause global warming. We now know that to be false. It's scientifically established. But in the, originally, if you go back a couple of years, it might have been profitable for the company to actually keep buying those ads because they're selling more gasoline, even though it's causing social damage. We know 
from economics in some sense, if they're killing, willing to keep paying the costs, then the private gains exceed the social costs, so you should raise the costs. In this case, you would raise the price on the illegitimate ad. So ExxonMobil, if the first time it cost them $1,000, and the next time it might cost them $2,000, next time it might call them four. If exponential growth process, it's gonna cost a very expensive amount very soon. So if they keep lying on the same topic, you raise the price, and that then discourages, even in the cases when they had deep pockets, you find an efficient price that causes them to stop doing it. And I, I think something um, that's also very interesting about that, even if it doesn't come to an actual lie or to an actual challenge, if you can explain the fact that a pledge alone can be a signal and how the signal gives us valuable information about a participant. So here, it's a very simple idea. Anyone willing to guarantee their product is typically more aware that their product is high quality than someone who won't think, think about it. Or which are you more interested in buying? A product that has a guarantee or a product that is buyer beware? There's no guarantee here. You take it as is. Under this case, you're almost certain to think that there's something else going on. The willingness of any politician to do this actually signals their credible belief that they're telling the truth in the same way that a product guarantee signals that the manufacturer of that product believes it's a high quality product. Why? Because they think they're not going to have to honor the guarantee because it's not going to break. If, on the other hand, they know that it's likely to break, it's going to be much more expensive to offer that guarantee. Someone who knows the truth of a statement is often willing to incur a gamble to signal that they actually do know what they're talking about. Whereas someone who knows that they're not uh, they're untrue isn't willing to take that same gamble because uh, they're going to make it called out on it. And it's exactly what happens in products. We can apply it to unfaithful politicians as well. So um, we haven't talked about Facebook and Twitter in that market. Um, do they have any incentive to do this? I mean, they make money of an ad no matter if it's right or if it's wrong. And like so far when it comes to legislation, they're really out of everything, out of any responsibility for third-party content. So that's a great question. This particular solution has been partly designed to actually be business model compatible. So in some ways, it should actually help sell ads or it should also help sell product insurance, if you will. You should actually be able to create a marketplace. There's an interesting body of literature on parametric insurance, which has very simple triggers and it goes for a fixed amount. And so you could actually create up a marketplace for this parametric insurance to actually do it. The interesting thing is, it turns out it's an incredibly general purpose mechanism. It might not apply simply just to political ads, where at the moment it's absent. You could apply it to any kind of advertisement. You could apply it to used car ads. You could apply it to uh, real estate deals. You could apply it to anything that's effectively being advertised. And you could offer that um, hedge or this insurance marketplace to guarantee the legitimacy of claims. It's in a very broad property. And then one more question about that. Just for my understanding, the money that is being exchanged in that mechanism in that market of truth that is not the money of or for meant for facebook and for twitter it's not coming off facebook and twitter it's simply being exchanged between the two parties right the ad yeah so it's so here's another way to think about it in effect the lies are collateral damage in some way 
And so what you're doing is you're collateralizing that damage and then trading that damage. The parties that are experiencing the damage then get to claim the warranty, just like with a product liability. So it's not necessarily the store. It may be the store that sold you the product, or it may be actually the manufacturer of the product in this case. So in this case, uh, Facebook would be analogous to the store who's selling you the product and the manufacturer, in this case, the politician or the person buying the ad, would be the one actually offering uh, the guarantee. And you, as the citizen or even the opposing comp- um, a politician, would be the other party who might be experiencing that damage and then would get to claim the warranty from the, the illegitimate claims of the, of the advertisement. So it's a marketplace in which you can actually trade and collateralize the damage. Mm-hmm. And as a last question, if I may ask, what is going to be the next step after this paper, um, which I find fascinating? Can you talk to legislators? Do you expect them to contact you? How can this theoretical concept become reality? Great question. Thank you for that. So one of the things is to reach out to uh, the social media platforms to enable it, simply to be able to be willing to take these ads. Um, The other thing I think we need is actually something like an SEC for the Securities Exchange Commission for first, in some sense, helping to define what fake news is. I think the governor's model needs to have this tripartite structure of a definition, the adjudication, and the enforcement. Uh, And so we need to set that component of it up. And then the rest should take care of itself. If we can actually have the definitions and the insurance marketplace and the uh, the executive platforms already can handle, they already take the money. They simply have to hold the, the warranties in escrow and allow the disbursements uh, to the parties that can make the claims. So I think that would be the next step. Would you think that would be the biggest challenge to find some or to create something like an SEC? So this is where legislators could step in. Mm-hmm. And this is where actually we could get a little bit of government uh, intervention uh, to actually help with some of these steps. Again, this is kind of an interesting and I, and I hope useful intermediate ground between you know Twitter, which takes no political ads, and Facebook, which takes all of them, regardless of how many lies or how untruthful they might be. Uh, this, would allow, this would allow both of them. Twitter can now actually take ads, but not necessarily be responsible for the adjudication of truth. And then uh, Facebook can actually then take them and then not worry about being the social arbiter. So they, they, they worry about having to arbitrate that truth, and they don't have to take that responsibility. They're simply the executive, and then the responsibility turns over to the judicial and the legislative branches on that. So again, it creates a marketplace in which all of the platforms can actually work and take the ads in a legitimate way. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to explain your concepts to us and uh, for a second time. So thanks so much. It's an honor. Oh, I'm honored to hear that. Thank you very much. How are you doing, New York? Wir starten heute mit Phase 2, also glaube ich zumindest. Bürgermeister Bill de Blasio und Governor Andrew Cuomo sind sich nicht ganz einig. De Blasio sagte letzte Woche vor Juli wird das alles nichts. A reality here in New York City that is by far the most complex in the entire state. We are talking constantly to the state government. We're all comparing notes. We certainly saw a, an aberrant reality with the protest activity. We want to know what that has resulted in in terms of the spread of the disease. Or maybe it hasn't. We don't know that answer yet because not enough time has passed. Clearly those protests were outdoors, largely with people with face coverings. We need more information, so we're going to decide with the state, are we ready to go on June 22nd? 
or do we need some more time to keep evaluating? I've tried to keep expectations low and say, think about beginning of July just so people are not disappointed. And that presumes that the data keeps coming back the right way. But Andrew, it is about data, but also knowing that you have complete enough data and that may not be all done by uh, June 21st. We may want and need a few more days to get more data. Eine Stunde nach diesem Statement aber kam schon das hier von Cuomo. So New York is on track to enter phase two on Monday. The same metrics we use in New York City are the same metrics we've used in every region across the state. And they have all shown to be accurate and effective. We don't change the rules for New York City. We don't change the rules for Long Island. It's one set of rules for everyone. Cuomo's Meinung zählt hier. Büros dürften wieder aufmachen, ebenso Restaurants und Bars und ich erwarte, dass die Bahnen dementsprechend voller werden. Die meisten New Yorker sind natürlich glücklich darüber, vor allem Unternehmer, die Mieter haben zahlen müssen, aber kein Einkommen hatten. Die Straßen und Parks sind schon länger wieder voll und dann gehen ja hier auch seit Wochen Menschen in Protesten auf die Straße. Ohne Abstand, aber immerhin mit größtenteils Masken. Es ist noch zu früh, um zu sagen, wie sich das auf die Ausbreitung des Virus ausgewirkt hat. Ich kann diesen Podcast glücklicherweise von zu Hause für Sie produzieren, also fahre ich weiterhin keine Bahn, sondern Fahrrad. Und in Restaurants können wir erst einmal sowieso nur draußen sitzen. Die Stadt war jetzt drei Monate stillgelegt, das heute ist ein großer Tag für uns. Das war's von mir, ich danke Ihnen fürs Zuhören. Ich hoffe, Sie konnten etwas lernen. Wenn Sie Anregungen, Wünsche oder Feedback haben, schreiben Sie mir doch einfach eine E-Mail. Alles an wallstreetweekly.mediapioneer.com Wir hören uns nächsten Montag wieder. Bitte bleiben Sie gesund. Von Herzen, Ihre Sophie Schimanski.